All right. If you've got a Bible in front of you, or you can grab one of those in or around where your seats are, turn it to Galatians. We're in chapter 6 this morning, just the first verse, but um, almost especially if we're just going through something that, that small, that short, I'd love for you to have that in front of you just so you know that I'm not making all this stuff up. You laugh, but let's be honest, right? When we're, when, we're, when we're listening, when we're hearing someone talk, especially about the Bible, about spiritual things, about, about things that um, you know, can, can step on our toes, push on us, it's really easy sometimes to just kind of dismiss it and go, well, that's that dude's idea, which is why it's even more important that we can look and see that this is actually coming from the scriptures and not from the, Lord help us, not from the, the mind of the person that's standing up here, so... We've got about five weeks left in this series in Galatians, um, and if, if you are visiting with us this morning, um, you, can, you can go back and, and listen to any of those if you want to, um, and I can see there's a lot of folks visiting with us this morning. Apparently, uh, church growth strategy is to have kids up front singing. That's, that's what works. Uh, kidding, kidding, but we are glad you're here with us. Um, so we, we've been, we've been uh, looking at this over and over and over again, seeing the, the, this early Christian leader named Paul write this letter to churches that he started in Turkey, um, in southern Turkey, this area that in the, in the first century was called Galatia, and he's, he's writing to try and correct some things that he has heard about has become, come kind of creeping in. It's things that happen in every church. Right? It's, a, it's the, the slow creep of believing that Jesus is all well and good, but isn't there something else we have to do too? Like that Jesus, yes, I get it, Jesus saved me from my sins, and he died on the cross, and he did all the stuff that we sing about, but like, if God's really going to love me, if he's really going to like me, don't I have to do the thing? And every church has a different thing, Right? And over and over and over again, what we've seen is, is this, this, this Paul guy kind of saying, no, 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 it's not that. You are, you are made right before God through faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone. And that is it. You can't get his love anymore for you, and you can't lose it because you never did anything to get it. That it's all by grace. And then, starting a couple of weeks ago, um, he, he kind of turned the corner. If that is true. If all that we just said is true, if that's true and you believe it and I believe it, we believe it, what is this community going to look like? What does a group of people living together look like that don't believe that they have to have one another like them or be right or whatever to be loved by God and to be accepted? Well, that's what this part of this letter is about. If we all believe that there was nothing that commended us to God, that, that I'm no better than you and you're no better than me, no matter what our lives look like, whether it's train wreck or pretty, like it's, it's all about the grace of Jesus, that, that all we have, all that we need before God is our need. That Jesus came in to give us that right status before God, that he came in to satisfy our souls and to, to give us the safety that we long for. If this is true... How will that begin to work out in a community? And so that's what we're going to be looking at the next three weeks. Okay? And the first of these is the fact that it's going to look like a community that restores towards one another. So let's stand in honor of God's word. Just one verse. It'll be quick. I promise. If you're able. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's God's word for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Jesus, have mercy on us. Speak to us. Don't let any of the things that can distract us, all of the many things, some of our weeks have just been awful. Some have been great. Most are probably somewhere in the middle. Some of us have things we're thinking about later. We have lots of things on our mind. I just pray that you would take all that away for just the next half hour or so and let us hear from you. Jesus, you alone hold the words of eternal life. So speak, please. Your servants are listening. We ask it in your name. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. So let's be honest for a second. The church has kind of a bad rap when it comes to community. Right? And, that's, and there's good reasons for that. If you were to ask your unchurched or, or your dechurched friend or neighbor about their experience or their opinion of church, which you should do, by the way. If you've never done that, you should totally do that. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great, great practice. Uh, but if you were to ask them, more than likely, words that you would hear would be things like hypocritical, judgmental, um, party killer, you know, something like that. Some of that's unjust, right? But a lot of it's not. A lot of it's not. Even in the healthiest of churches, it's like, it's like there's something in us that we see someone who doesn't look like us or dress like us or, or talk like us or seem to care about the same things we do, vote the way we do, do all this stuff, and we kind of go, I don't know, can God really love them? I mean, at least not as much as he loves me, right? We do that. We do that. Churches, there's often the spoken message and then the unspoken one. Sometimes those coalesce, but often they don't. So then you have people that say that it's Jesus that makes them right before God, but if you if you deviate from that standard of morality that's accepted in that group of people, no matter what that might be, something happens. You get the message that maybe you're not as pleasing to God as they are. And this creates a group of people, frankly, if we're being honest, it creates these groups, and maybe you're, maybe you're this is you this morning, where you just hide. You hide who you are because you're like, I, you know what? I finally found a group of people I can be with, and uh, yeah. you know what, I, I think I can play the role too, and I'll just play the role. I'll play the role. Why not? We hide from each other because the unspoken message is that God loves us because of what we do, and since you don't do that, he must not love you. And our verse today actually assumes something very different. It assumes this C word that we hate, conflict. It assumes it doesn't say go do it. It assumes it's going to happen. But it assumes it not for the sake of ostracization, not for the sake of shunning, not for the sake of getting everyone to fall in line. It assumes it for the sake of restoration, which is a relational category. It assumes that we care enough about others to be in their lives, that we are open before others. We actually believe that Jesus is, is what makes us right before God and not my behavior. It assumes that if we dare to be honest that we're broken, but also dare to love others, 
enough to see brokenness made right. And so that's what I want to, I want to kind of dig into that. That's why it's only one verse this week, because there's so much there. We're going to actually dig into it in four points, okay? Four points. We're going to look at a situation, we're going to look at a direction, a qualification, and then a caution. Let's start with a situation. I know what you're thinking, like four points on one verse. Uh, Don't be afraid. We're I think we'll make it out before lunch, so we'll, we'll be good. Okay, look at the first part of that verse. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, first of all, I want to point out how specifically general Paul is being, okay? Paul uses some language here that is very poignant. The first is this word we translate as anyone, okay? That's a fine translation, anyone. But, but when we talk about anyone, we need to understand that, that in the original, the word just means human. <laughs> Not certain kinds of humans. Not church humans, not anyone in this group, anyone. Paul is laying out a generalization that can be applied to both people within the church and people outside the church. Okay, so that's, that's first. Second, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, we don't use that word that much, so let me be clear. He's talking about that, that churchy word that we don't like called sin. And I know that... that uh, we, we're not big fans of that, so just kind of stick with me if you can, because I think it'll, it'll lay some things out that might be helpful, okay? But the word, uh, the, the way that he modifies it is important. He said, if, if anyone is caught in any sin, if any transgression, and that means that what we're not talking about is like a, a graded scale. We're not talking about is here are the ones that are acceptable and here are the ones that aren't. I'm not talking about if anyone is caught in these things that we know are just bad. These other ones, I mean, it's okay. He's talking about someone who finds themselves committing what the Bible would call sin. Any sin. And this means that what he is saying is applicable for those that we know who are in the church and those outside, first and foremost. Okay? Now, Let's get at some assumptions about this situation. They're all dealing with this notion of sin, so let me deal with these things first. The first is this. It's that sin is real. Now, Christians believe, and, and if, you, if, you, if you consider yourself a Christian, don't believe this. I'm not entirely certain how that, I'd love to hear how that logic plays out, but um, Christians believe uh, that sin is something real. At its most basic, it's, it's seeking independence from God. I want my way to do my thing for my glory, to get to get stuff for me. Uh, and, and some of us, we do that in ways that we would call culturally immoral ways, right? Those are the things that we're like, you know, th- those, those of us, and I, you know, I, I tend to lean more in this direction, where it's like the, the kind of, our lives can very quickly be found in, in a ditch, and it's very easy to look like that. So some of us, that's the way it looks, but others of us, it looks like very responsible moral living. But we're doing it for... In my power, for, for me to provide a status for myself, to get something from someone, it's, it's about me. I don't need Jesus. I'm good enough on my own. And the Bible tells us that before God, it's the same. It's the same, right? So first and foremost, sin is real. Second assumption in all of this that Paul's bringing into this is the idea that sin is serious. And this is the big one that we have a struggle with in our culture because we tend to think that almost, we even stopped talking about them in terms of um, in, in terms of things like morals and all that, we started to talk about them in terms of values, right? Cultural values, family values. 
you know what is interesting about a value? A value is determined by an individual, right? How much is a bag of Skittles worth to you? For some of you, you're like, nothing. I don't want them anywhere near me. I'd pay you to get rid of them, in fact. Like, but for some of us, you got to taste the rainbow, right? Like, you want that. That's a value. It's not objective. It's a value, right? So we don't like talking about this because we tend to see ideas of sin and all that stuff as really like, it's a preference. It's a taste. You know? The Bible, though, says that sin is serious. It's deadly serious. It's not breaking a rule. It's not breaking curfew. It's more like adultery. It's breaking a relationship, right? And, and so it's breaking a relationship with God. And so it's very, very serious. But not only is it having to do with God, it harms. It harms the community. It harms us. It harms the world. Like, it, it tears things apart, and not only is it harmful, it's also punishable, right? Because it's breaking a relationship with God. It's a betrayal of God, and that creates guilt. And I know for some of us that's really hard, but listen, you know, because you've betrayed others and you've been betrayed, you know that when that happens, it's like something's got to be done about this. And maybe that something is, I never want to see you again. But listen, that's, that's someone bearing the guilt for what they did, right? There's always that that goes into it. So seeing others in sin, even if that sin is is against us, or if it's not, is not a neutral event. We are watching them walk a path, if we're to believe the Bible, a path of death. If if, if they're Christians, we watch them harm themselves and others, um, all the while um, fighting against their own relationship with God, right? And, And you and I know this because we've been in the weeds before. There is nothing more miserable than somebody who loves Jesus and can't even find the sin that they used to enjoy enjoyable anymore. Like it's just miserable. And if they aren't Christians, we watch all of that plus the fact they will have to answer for it, okay? So sin is serious, but the last assumption is sin is universal. And this is where that whole anyone comes into play. Most people outside of the church in our culture today believe that Christians, and when they say things like Christians are hypocritical, what they ultimately mean is you think that God likes you because you do these things, And he doesn't like other people who do other things, but you don't really do those things anyway, so therefore you're a hypocrite, right? But the Bible is very clear that sin is universal, that all of us, every one of us, in here, out there, all of us are broken and in need of rescue. That all of us, by nature, not nurture, but by our nature, are sinners. That that is something that we are, not something that we just do. And that, frankly said this before and I'm just going to keep saying it that there is nothing wrong with you that's not wrong with me we are all in this together like this is all of us and I need you to hear this because this isn't preacher speak this is true when Paul says anyone he means that Paul is seeing this as not just a them issue but an us issue in fact because of the fact that he's speaking specifically to a church it's specifically an us issue It's about our communal life. It's a human problem. Okay? With me? All right. That's the situation. Now let's look at the direction. Paul says, you who are spiritual. Now stop there. We need to explain this clearly because, again, there's a ton of cultural baggage here. In our culture, 
It's very common, and maybe, maybe you're in, in this boat, to believe that what it means to be spiritual, maybe you consider yourself, you'd say, I'm, religious, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, right? And what we mean by that is that spirituality is some kind of general sense of the transcendent. Like, we think that there's something else out there besides us, but we're not entirely certain what that is. I'm a spiritual person, just generally means I kind of, maybe I have a generic belief in God, um, so that's when we hear spiritual, that's what we think. But when the Bible says spiritual, that is not what it's talking about. When the Bible talks about being spiritual, it is, it is defining as having to do with the spirit of God, right? And, and so, okay, that sounds great. But if you're a Christian here and you hear you who are spiritual, and you're like, yeah, Rick, I get that. I, I know it's not about being this vague, generalized sense of spirituality. But for some of us, if you're Christians in the room and you hear the word spiritual, what you think is really good Christian, right? Like there's me, and then there's the spiritual ones. There's me, and I'm, you know, I'm just lucky to be here, and then there's Vic and Harvey who argue over who's going to pray, <laughs> right? They're the really spiritual ones, and I'm just on coattails, like I'm just riding it in. Again, not what the Bible is talking about, Okay? When it talks about spiritual, it means someone who has the Spirit of God. And if that's confusing to you, let me explain. The Bible understands God as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that when you place your faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, in other words, not in some secondary event, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, comes to indwell you, live in you, unites you to Jesus. And so therefore, if you are a Christian, Paul would say, you are spiritual, it's not about being some kind of extra level Christian, like you leveled up on the last board, like you're good, and it's not about just having a generic sense of your own, uh, you know, that there's something more out there than what you can see. It's about being guided, directed, and a home for the Spirit of God. So Paul says, you who are spiritual, what he means by that is you who are a Christian. With me? All right, I know. You're like, uh-oh, I don't. I don't like the way this is going. I know. I know. I know. Okay? What this ultimately means for us, especially as Christians in the room, is that what he's about to say you can't back out of. You can't go, well, I'll leave that for the really spiritual people. I'm going to leave this for the people who can do this without getting upset, who can do this without, who are kind of in this detached sense of, you know, they're more Yoda than Jesus, and like nothing seems to bother them, right? And that, that's the really spiritual people, and so they can go and move into the lives of other people, and you know what, they're not going to mess it up, and, 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 and really what we mean is, because if I do this, that person's very likely to go, oh, oh, me? Let's talk about you. And people like Vic and Harvey, they don't have, you can't do that to them, right? No, there's no outs in this. This is for you, all right? If you're a Christian. If you're not, just listen in. But if you're a Christian, this is for you. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to restore. Look there. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him. Okay, so what does that mean? The word restore means to mend. It means to set something right. To restore a broken bone is to set it. To put the pieces back together. To bind it. To bring it into right relationship with the whole. Here's the deal. Here's the assumption. goes back to our, our stuff about sin. The Bible understands that sin divides. It's a dividing principle. It divides people, right? 
let me, let me go back to the beginning, because you, you're like, all right, he's just going to do preacher talk. Way back in the beginning, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, well, right at the end of Genesis chapter 2, you have God bring um, this, this wife to this dude, and, and he is so enamored with her, he starts singing love songs, right? This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Scholars will tell you that that's a, probably a song. It's a weird song, but okay, it's a song. It's the first love song ever. I mean, you know, there wasn't much to compare it to. So he's singing love songs. And then in chapter 3, we get into chapter 3, and sin enters the world. And the first thing that happens, the first thing, is those two people. Remember love song people? Adam goes, her fault. God's like, what happened here? It's her. In fact, it's you. You gave her to me. I'm the, I'm the innocent one here. I don't know. It's your fault, her fault. Not my fault. It divided these two people. So it divides people, it divides communities, and it even divides us. I mean, I'm not just talking about the inner war that you fight with yourself internally. I know that. I do it too. I'm talking even down to this principle called death. You know what death is? It's the unnatural division of your body and your soul. We weren't made to be divided like that. We were made to be a whole. And yet sin goes in and goes, nope, rips them apart. Sin divides. To restore here is going to mean moving into that. And ultimately, it's going to have to do with confrontation. And now that, that isn't popular, nor is it comfortable. So let me make sure we all get what I'm saying. What will it mean to restore someone caught in a sin? That's what it says. If anyone is caught in any transgression, any, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore them. So what is it going to mean? Well, I can tell you what it's not going to mean. What it's not going to mean is you sitting down with someone over coffee or something else and going, you need to get your straight. Like, you got to figure this out, right? Why? Because that doesn't work. It's not about what Jesus, Jesus didn't show up and say, Peter, get yourself straight. He came and he preached the gospel. And the gospel is what restores us to ourselves and what restores us to God. And so first and foremost, it's going to mean preaching the gospel. And if that language is unfamiliar to you, that is, that is kind of shorthand for the central message of Christianity, that we are all sinners in need of reconciliation with God, that Jesus, by his life, death, and resurrection, comes to do that work, that it's not something we do. It's a gift that he gives us by his grace, and that because of that, we can be right before God. So then we preach the gospel, which means we call sin, sin. We call an offense, an offense. We say when something hurts us. We lay out the need for Jesus and offer reconciliation both with God and us through repentance and faith. In other words, if you see somebody who you know their life's going off the rails, you just, you just, you see it. Maybe it's off the rails in, like I said, because you're watching them run their life into a ditch or you're watching them just be absolutely um, just drowning in their own self-righteousness. What you don't do is you don't laugh it off. Think, well, it stinks to be them. Glad I'm not like that. Or, because they hurt you, let them continue in that. You confront them, not to destroy them, but to point them to Jesus. Right? But we don't just preach the gospel, we practice the gospel. That means, listen close, this is important. That means that if someone actually repents, we receive them fully and stop pretending that their sin is worse than ours. right? You don't hold a grudge. 
You don't stick with the cold shoulder or merrily watch them squirm. That isn't the gospel. Now listen, as soon as I say that, there's some of us in this room who have been um, victims of incredible atrocities. And listen, I know that we're talking about a lot of complexities here. And unfortunately, I don't have the time to go into all the measures of how those complexities can work out. But know that for the most part, what I'm not talking about is if you are a victim of abuse or something like that. We can talk about that and how we respond to that. It's far more complex. I'm talking about like someone's, I'm talking about what I did to my family last night. I was a total jerk at dinner, like yelled at one of my kids, argued, was stubborn, had to be right, had to be right. Right? Like literally, we were having a fine dinner, it was very nice, and all of a sudden I had to be right and everything went silent. Everybody's quiet. We all went to our corners. I, like, I, I destroyed the family's evening through my own selfishness, right? That's, what I'm, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. We call things what they are. We hold out the promise of reconciliation in Jesus. And then if they turn and follow him, we celebrate. And here's the thing I need us to get. If we skip any of those steps, it's not the gospel, right? You can't have restoration without confrontation. That's called avoidance. I'm just going to pretend nothing happened. <laughs> you can't have restoration without celebration. Like, that's moralism. It says you have to prove yourself to me. And you can't have restoration without repentance. Repentance is literally like grief for what you've done and turning from what has been done. Because if you, if you have restoration without repentance, that's denial. Again, that's just lying. With the gospel, though, all of these things are possible. Now, that's the situation and the direction. Now let's see the qualification. Because you know this, notice that? He was very, Paul is very clear. Not only if you're spiritual, you should restore them, but you should do so with a spirit of gentleness. Now, two things I want to say about this. First, is that gentleness does not mean passivity. I don't know where we got this idea that like gentleness and meekness somehow it means like this disconnected passive person, right? Like obviously Jesus is called meek and he's called gentle, uh, you know, uh, but I... I've read, the, I've read the Gospels a few times, and some of you have too, and you notice, like, Jesus can get in people's faces. Like, he confronts people, right? So, so it must not mean just being completely, like, I don't know, like a doormat. Instead, it doesn't mean that. It means humility. A spirit of gentleness means understanding that you aren't above this person. In other words, it's leading with compassion. In terms of your, your non-Christian friends and neighbors, your, your uh, unchurched, dechurched friends, it, it has to do with like understanding that they're in no different place than you were before Jesus came in and grabbed you. They're in no different place. They're doing what they're doing. And, and this is what Jesus all the time like, looked at people. He's like, sheep without a shepherd. He's like, they don't know their right from their left. Like, they don't know. Well, how do they not know? Well, how do you know? You know, not because you're smarter than or anything. You're, you know because Jesus came in, kicked the door of your heart down, brought you to life, and said, you're mine now. And because of that, like, we can see things now in ourselves, in others. It means understanding that apart from the Spirit's work in your life, you'd be in the exact same position they are, right? So that's in confronting folks who you may think, like, here's my non-Christian neighbor. I care about them. I want to see them come to Jesus but in our Christian friends and neighbors, in our Christians in the church, it means knowing that you are prone to the same kind of issues that, that's leading them than where they are. 
And I know some of us are like, no, no, no. I would never do X, Y, or Z. And you know what? I think that's probably true of some of you. I honestly do. But it's not because you're better than. It's because you have a different set of things that you think are important to you. Like some of us, some of us are far more likely to run into the ditch because we really don't care what other people think. This guy right here. Like I am, and everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. I'm just, I don't care, right? But some of us care so much about what people think that we would never be caught doing that. Not because we go, oh, that's so bad, but because we don't want people to think ill of us. So we don't get off on like, well, I would never do that. You probably wouldn't, but that doesn't mean that's any better. It just means you have a different set of idols that you worship, right? But the other thing going on here is you can't hear spirit of gentleness in this verse without thinking about what we talked about last week, the fruit of the Spirit. And here's what I said about that. Those, that fruit of the Spirit all goes together. You remember that? Which means that if you're talking about gentleness and humility, you're also talking about love and patience and kindness and joyfulness, that it all goes together. In other words, it has to do with engaging with someone in a way that, when, I, I use the term lead with compassion. Let me explain what I mean by that. Leading with compassion is moving into a situation and knowing that the person, more than likely, again, I know situations are complex and things happen, but more than likely, what's going on in that person is not them thinking, you know what I want to do? I want to really wound someone today. You know, that's what we all thought when we woke up this morning. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to wound my spouse. Sounds awesome. No, we didn't get up intending to do that. Does it happen? <laughs> yeah darn straight it does. We didn't get up thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to demean my children. I'm going to yell at them. I'm going to make them fear me. Did it, does it happen? Yes, it does. Don't you shake your head. Yes, it does. We do it. We do that. Were we in, what, what, what was going on in our hearts? I can tell you, what, what, it wasn't just we're trying to be mean and evil. There's something going on, but it's probably not that. Okay. Now, that qualification matters because it makes this a matter of the heart for us. Here's what I mean. We all know that guy. Maybe you are that guy. The guy that just really loves confronting people. But he does it not because he's really like, or she, or she, not really interested in like restoring someone, but they're really interested in being right. They're really interested in making sure you know that they know good theology. They know the Bible. They see what you're doing wrong. They want you to know that they can perform better. And so they point things out. They always do it. Always calling people on their junk. Always pointing out where you're wrong. What you're doing that's inconsistent. You know, maybe you've been called out by that guy before. And I can tell you that what you don't feel is cared for. That's not what you're walking away with a warm fuzzy. You know what? He really loves me. He did that out of love. No, you know. You know what it feels like. You don't want to be that guy, and I don't want you to be that guy. And here's, this is why Paul gives us the qualification. This is a matter of the heart. Here it is. If you're with someone you care about, and they're sitting, you're sitting at a table, and they have a pill in front of them, and that pill can um, take away their pain, um, make them forget for a while about their trouble, like because 
life is stressful or just make them finally able to, to like cover over their fear. Make them feel strong instead of weak. But you know that that pill will give them terminal cancer. Tell me that you're going to let them, you're going to sit and watch them take it. Maybe better because maybe that's not dramatic enough. Let's say you're sitting across from a friend or a loved one and, and they're super hungry. Oh God, they're starving. They haven't eaten for like two weeks. And in front of them is a plate full of broken glass. And they're like, I cannot wait to dig into this. Are you going to watch them eat it? Are you just going to watch? Are just going to let it happen? Because you know that that's actually going to shred them. And, and they may even complain, like say, you don't understand, I'm so hungry. And you go, I know you're, I know you're hungry. You don't understand, this hurts so bad. I know you hurt so bad. But this will kill you. This is not going to help you. At the same time, of course you want to try and stop them, but at the same time you understand why they'd want to do it. Why they want to fill their bellies. They're starving. Why they want to take their pain away. No one wants their pain. You love them. You lead with compassion. I know, but this is not going to help. And then you seek their flourishing and not their destruction. Now, Maybe you don't see the parallel. You're thinking, Rick, come on. <laughs> it's not that serious, man. <laughs> You're talking about eating glass. Come on. What are, what are you? We're talking about gossip, sexuality, not death. Aren't we? Listen, I mean, if we're to believe the Bible, and, and I think most of us in this room kind of want to do that, um, the Bible says that sin destroys. Maybe it does so slowly, but it does so undoubtedly. Letting someone go, in it, go on with it without a word isn't loving. It's hatred. Unless we think, of course, that Jesus was exaggerating, which, I mean, in some, in some senses, he was in this particular verse, but not in the point. And, you know, in Matthew, uh, in one of the Gospels, Matthew's Gospel, it's the first book in the New Testament, chapter 18, verse 8, um, he's talking about uh, the seriousness of this thing, and he's basically like, this is the whole, like, gouge out your eye thing. Everyone's like, whoa. If your eye causes you to sin, take out an eye because it's better to go walk around with only one eye than to find yourself destroyed. If your hand causes you to sin, man, you cut it off because it's better to go around with only one hand than to find yourself destroyed like what he's not saying is literally go cut your hand off okay so let's clarify on that what he is saying is that it is that big of a deal it's that big of a deal it's better to be without something that we cherish than to be destroyed right okay let's conclude with a caution paul finishes with this watch yourself lest you too be tempted all right what does this mean basically paul's saying Watch out when you do this, because you are at risk too. <laughs> I know some of us are like, no way, man. Like, if I'm confronting someone, it's because I'm on the high ground. Like, Obi-Wan, I have the high ground. You cannot destroy me. Like, three people watch Star Wars, got that. All right. Um, the rest of you, just YouTube it. Um, but, like, we, we think we have the high ground. We're fine. We're good. The whole point is we can pick, point this out in someone else. It's not our blind spot. It's their blind spot. So I can point this out, and I'm safe. But Paul says, no, 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 no. 
This is dangerous business. Here's why. The number one thing we can be tempted to when we move to do this is self-righteousness. And I don't know whether you noticed, if you're a Christian, you read the Bible a good bit, Jesus had an awful lot to say about our self-righteousness. In fact, he seems to point that out and nail that more than almost everything else. It's easy to believe that we're better than others because we aren't currently struggling with what we are confronting. Okay? Listen to me. Our self-righteousness is just as heinous to God as anything you want to call someone else on. Anything. Now, secondly, though, we can be tempted with the exact thing we're confronting someone else on, and that's the deviousness of our own proclivities and the the deviousness of of our enemy, and it's real, right? And then, so that's the first two things. And then the last thing, we can actually be tempted into a God complex. And you know what this is like. This is like that person will never change unless I'm involved in their life, unless I come and confront them, because I'm the one who's going to do this. That we're the ones that change other people. Friends, that is, that's, that's sin. You confront, you share the gospel, and then you leave the change up to God because God brings change, not us. You can't argue someone into repentance just like you can't argue them into the kingdom. All right. Let me conclude this by naming something. Uh, it's not very comfortable. I don't often like to do this, but I know, uh, you know, I've spent the last seven months here, and I've, I've been um, talking with a lot of people over um, their experience here at UPC and, and all this stuff, and I, I just want to name something that I know has gone on in this church. I know it's present in almost every church. It's just something we got to talk about. It's real. I love you guys, but it's real. The opposite of what Paul is talking about here can take a few forms. Okay? The first is avoidance. Avoidance is where we either see someone in sin or we're sinned against and we just avoid that person. We go, I'm just kind of done with that person. They're no longer quote-unquote safe. Okay? We just avoid them. Stay away from them. The second is indifference. That's where we, kind of, we, we, we tend to believe um, that uh, we're, just, I don't, we're just indifferent towards the person. We don't avoid, we, we just simply choose not to care. We don't really care about them. But the third, and this is the one that's probably more common, is something called triangulation. Triangulation is when um, I sin against Harvey, and Harvey goes and, and he talks to John. And he talks to John about how I've sinned against him and how much of a doofus I am and all the things I've done wrong, which are all very true. And now he's talked to John, and he and John talk about me a lot, but no one talks to me. As a matter of fact, John may say, you know what, he's done that to me too. And he's, he's been a doofus to me and da-da-da-da. And maybe we then go and try and find someone else. We, we start to build a coalition, coalition of people who understand how we've been wronged. And maybe, 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 maybe we end up talking to someone who we are hoping what they're going to do is they're going to go talk to this person, right? So then Harvey and John, maybe, maybe they go and talk to Steve because Steve's office is right next to mine. And they're thinking, you know what, Steve will, Steve will t- handle this for us. And then Steve comes to me and he's like, hey, so what you been doing? Because Harvey and John, da, 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 da. Let me be very clear. 
Triangulation, according to Scripture, is sin. It divides the church. It hurts the church. It grieves the heart of God. And I know it has happened here. So let me be clear. If you're a Christian, you've been sinned against. You have two options. You can, in a spirit of gentleness, go and confront that person, which is love, by the way. And it's grace, because did they deserve it? No, they didn't deserve it. They sinned against you. Go and go to them. You did this. It hurt me. Like, and here's, I, I think this is, this is where this lines up, like, where, where in the scriptures this, this comes down. I know you probably, I know you weren't thinking, like, you know what I'm going to do is harm me today, but, you know, it happened. You're to confront the person in a spirit of gentleness, or you're to bear with it. Notice, there's no option about going and building a coalition, talking to other people. There are some sins. Listen, I, I'm clear. Like we, we mess up against each other all the time, and there are some things where we just go, you know what, I'm just going to bear with that. That's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Eh, having a bad day, no big deal. I love you. It's no big deal. And there's some things where you go, well, if I can't bear with it, the only other option I have is to go to them and deal with it. What I don't have the option to do is then to go and talk to my life group, to talk to my Bible study, talk to my group of friends who we all think that person's a little weird. That's not how we're supposed to do community. The gospel calls us to say, yes, some, is confronting another person who has wounded you scary? Yes, you never know. Are they going to deal with my heart well or not? They may not. They may not. They may not. But we go because the gospel frees us from the fear of people. You have been received, if you're a Christian, you have been received by the living God. You don't need someone to apologize for you to be right. Your rightness is in Jesus. You, you don't need other people to see how wronged you've been. We go to others because Jesus came to us. We seek to see them restored because Jesus sought us and restored us to himself. This, I, this happens all the time. It happens all the time. And it's, if, if we want to build the kind of community here that I think you do, I know I do, and I want for you, where we can believe the gospel enough to know that, that no matter how a certain thing turns out, that doesn't change the way I have, I have been um, loved by God or accepted by him that it frees us to go and do those things. Now listen, let me give you one more caveat before I stop. Again, I am, this, this sermon is particularly dealing with what I would call everyday sins and maybe even everyday sin patterns. What we're not talking about is like, okay, but what if I've been abused? Can I not go talk to my counselor? That is not what I'm talking about, okay? There's lots of complexities here and I don't have enough time to speak into all of them. But for most of us, what we're engaging with, what we're dealing with, is just life together, right? If you have those complexities, come talk to me. We'll, we'll talk about it, and we'll work it out. And it also doesn't mean that you can't go to someone, you're like, I need advice on what to do about this. And you know your heart, okay? You know your heart. 
but it means we need to seek to see others restored. Restored not only to, our, to us, but reconciled to God as well. In other words, we need to show Jesus to others so that they might encounter him for themselves. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, oof. help us remember in the midst of all of this that this is all based on the fact that you took initiative with us. You took initiative, you reached out. You came to us in, in gentleness and compassion, not to shame us or to break us, but to, to reconcile us to yourself. Lord, by the Spirit of God, would you give us that heart as well. And let this church, let UPC be the kind of place where people both bear with one another in love and also seek to be restored to one another in love. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.